still working miracles. In my heart, in my mind, lift my faith and I know in God. You are able, you're capable, you're still working miracles, God, in this day, in this hour. Hallelujah. God, a hand clap of appreciation, just a moment. Hallelujah. We praise and honor you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Just over the past couple of days, I've continued to receive reports regarding miracles that have come in uh, since Miracle Sunday. I'm excited about that. Sister April was just reminding me. She said, Pastor, last Miracle Sunday, I came through the line. And I prayed for my husband. And almost a year to the day, you handed him a Holy Ghost and a baptismal certificate. The following Sunday, almost a year to the day. God's still working miracles. This past week, someone said, Pastor, we were in a financial crisis. And we came through, began to ask God for a financial miracle. God this past two weeks has granted that financial miracle and I'm thankful for that. I'm going to give God the praise for that. Amen. He's still working miracles. Still working miracles. Amen. 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 God bless you. You may be seated. Good to see you in the house of the Lord on this Wednesday night. Those that are here, those that are joining us online. Amen. Certainly continue praying for my friend, Brother Leitner was visiting with him today and I know he's watching tonight he's been faithfully watching and so uh, I know I've said it over the last several weeks but to our AV team thank you you allow people who are not able to physically be here be engaged be a part of what's going on thank you for that and um, it's it's so wonderful wonderful that they're allowed to do that thank you my brother appreciate that very much thank you amen amen it's good to be in the house of the Lord Good to be in the house of the Lord. Mark chapter 4, we are going to be starting a new series tonight entitled Parables of Jesus. Parables of Jesus. Why did he teach parables? What are some of uh, the parables that he taught? What was he bringing out of those? I think the parables of Jesus are one of those things that we, we read about or read about and we think we've heard and seen all that there is to know, but uh, the parables of Jesus are a great treasure that as you dig into them, man, you just discover things you didn't even know. And tonight we're going to unearth one of those treasures that Jesus taught, one of the parables, beginning in Mark chapter 4, the parable of the sower. And we'll read through this, Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. And he began... Again, to teach by the seaside, and there was gathered unto him a great multitude, so that he entered into a ship and sat in the sea, and the whole multitude was by the sea on the land, and he taught them many things by parables. Say parables. Many things by parables. That's, that was his mode of teaching. That's how, he, uh, that's how he desired and designed to teach those that were there through parables. And he said unto them, in his doctrine, hearken or listen. Behold, there went out a sower to sow, and it came to pass as he sowed. Some fell by the wayside, 
and the fowls of the air came and devoured it up. Some fell on stony ground where it had not much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. Somebody say depth. And when the sun was up, it was scorched because it had no root, and it withered away. Some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no fruit. And other fell on good ground and did yield fruit that sprang up and increased and brought forth. Some thirty, some sixty, some a hundred. And he said unto them, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. It's not like he was talking to people that didn't have ears. What he was saying is, if, believe it or not, there's people that have ears and they don't use them. And you're like, I've been working with them all day, Pastor. You're exactly right. It's like, those two pieces of cartilage on the side of your cranium are wasted space. You are not using them. Your kids, it's like my dad used to say, son, there's a reason why you got two ears and one mouth. You need to listen twice as much as you're talking. My grandfather used to say, he would say, be careful what that mouth, that check that mouth writes because you're going to need to cash that later. And so Jesus said, you got ears. Right? But you ain't, you ain't using them. And when he was alone, they were about him with twelve and asked of him the parable. And he said unto them, Unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but unto them that are without, all these things are done in parables. Meaning it's easier for people to understand when I use parables. People understand and they grasp more. Verse 12, That seeing that they may see and not perceive. Hearing that they may hear and not understand, lest at any time they should be converted and their sins should be forgiven of them. And he said unto them, Know you not this parable? is a question. How then will you know all parables? The sower soweth the word. He was like, boys, I don't know where you've been. I don't know what you've been uh, listening to. You haven't been paying attention. I don't know what you've been waiting on. But basically, everything I just said in that story is, the sower soweth the word. And those that are they by the wayside where the word is sown, but when they've heard, Satan cometh and immediately taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. And these are they likewise which are sown on stony ground, who when they heard the word, immediately received it with gladness. Ooh, they like that. That's good preaching, pastor. But... They have no root in themselves. And so endure but for a time afterward when bills come up, when sickness comes up, when people make fun of them because they go to church, when affliction or persecution ariseth for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. And these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word. And the cares of this world the deceitfulness of riches and other, the lust of other things entering in choke the word and it becometh unfruitful. It is so hard for me not to stop and preach on every one of them. I mean, it's just like there is so much preaching this right here. And the final verse, and these are they which are sown on good ground. This is who I want to be. Such as hear the word. That's number one. But then... They receive it. And they not only receive it, they do something about it and bring forth fruit, some 30-fold, some 60, and some 100. Some 100. And so verse 2 and 3 tells us he taught these things by parables. It was his, uh, the way he chose to illustrate great mysteries and truths in the Word. So the truth about God that we need to think about tonight, marinate in, is God's Word will grow in the good ground of the heart. It will grow. Someone say, will grow, if the ground is good. The truth for my life is something I need to think about is I will hear and faithfully obey the Word. I will hear, that's one, but then I need to faithfully obey the Word. Faithfully obey. Ann Sullivan became Helen Keller's tutor on March 3rd, 1887. Now, it was challenging to help Helen understand words since she was not only deaf, 
But you've probably read and heard growing up Helen Keller's story. But not only was she deaf, but she was blind as well. And Solomon knew what it was like to be visually impaired. She had undergone many operations that had gone wrong at a young age before her sight was partially restored. And so, Ann Sullivan was Helen Keller's teacher and was 14 years older than Helen. And she watched as Helen wreaked havoc on the household with undisciplined outbursts and temper tantrums. She was uncontrollable and felt her ability to reach Helen was solely dependent upon discipline and love. I cannot teach you if you're going to be undisciplined, she would say. Anne got permission to move Helen to a nearby cottage to work with her alone. Anne began teaching Helen by manually signing into the child's hand. Helen learned quickly. She formed the letters correctly and in the correct order, but she could not comprehend the words she was spelling. She could recite the words back, but didn't know what the words were saying. We talk about Bible quizzing all the time. We want the kids to memorize the verses, but we would also want them to know what the verses mean. Don't just regurgitate the information back. We want you to know what that verse means. And so she was saying the information back, but not, not really understanding what they were. One day, Anne was trying to teach Helen the difference between the nouns mug and milk. Helen confused them with the verb drink and took Helen outside to the water pump and let the water pour over Helen's hand. With the other hand, Anne spelled W-A-T-E-R, water. Suddenly the signals began to make sense and the light bulb went off and Helen knew that water meant the wonderful, cool substance flowing over her hand. She dropped to the ground and patted the earth, demanding its letter name. By that evening, Helen had learned 30 words in that single day. Anne Sullivan has since been called the miracle worker because of the success she had with Helen Keller. The key was that Anne found a way to connect what she was teaching Helen with something that Helen could relate to. It was something, it was in her everyday world. And so when she would spell water and then feel water, when she would spell dirt and then feel dirt, suddenly she began to learn. Cool water on her skin made such an impression that when Anne spelled it in her hand, everything became clear. Many people have asked, maybe you, why Jesus taught in parables? Why the mystery? Why don't he just say what he's saying? Why did he desire and why did he design to teach in parables? As the greatest teacher who ever lived, Jesus knew the best way to get his message across to those he was teaching was to make a connection to something they could relate to. Something they could relate to. Using common acts and examples of illustrations for truth was the key to helping those whose hearts may not have understood before. It was also key to protect the truth. This is the thing we don't think about when we think about parables. Not only was it to help those who were hungry and wanted to hear, those that came and actually wanted to hear what Jesus had to say, it was also key in protecting the truth from being abused by those who were listening but not with open hearts, not with open hearts. And so Jesus knew that those who came to listen to him teach would understand the daily actions of others around them. They would be quite familiar with the lifestyle of a sower or a farmer. Fields of food and grain and other fruit-bearing plants surrounded their village. It was a part of their everyday life. In fact, as he was teaching about the sower and the seed, many of them had probably done that that day or that week. It was very common to them. And so I can come to Fuqua Arena and I can 
preach about building rockets and the intricacies of building rockets and space shuttles and and me and nobody else here is going to know anything about what I'm talking about. Right? But when I start talking about painting or building or computers or any other number of the things that those in our community are familiar with, immediately they can begin to understand that. And so Jesus wanted to make sure that those that he was teaching grasped the truth that he was telling. And so he would use things that their livelihood depended on. And that was harvest and food and grain for their survival. Jesus began his lesson introducing the sower of the crop. This was the main character. The sower was not expected to do anything other than generously throw the seeds on the ground that had been prepared for planting. Notice he didn't qualify the sower. Oh, the sower is a theologian. Oh, the sower is a great Christian. Oh, the sower speaks in tongues all the time. He never misses church. He's a, no, we don't even know anything about the sower. We don't qualify the sower. We don't talk anything about. All that we know is the sower was throwing seed. The focus here is not the sower, right? The power is not in the sower. So many people, if they would realize that, the pressure would come off in winning souls. Because you don't actually win souls, although the Bible says he that winneth the soul is wise. You're not doing the conversion. You're not doing the saving or the redeeming or the delivering. You are sowing the seed, and that is your responsibility. And it doesn't, you don't have to be intellectual, you don't have to be a theologian, you don't have to be a preacher or a teacher, because the power is in the seed. The delivering aspect happens through the Word. That's what he told his disciples, the Word. And so we don't know anything about the sower other than what his responsibility was. Jesus compared the sower to those who share the gospel. Those who share the word of God with others. You are sowing the seed of truth into their hearts. We, you and I, must sow generously. Someone say generously. To reap the most abundant harvest. The first house I ever lived in, I had this big grand dream of having a golf course in my front yard not an actual golf course but I wanted grass like a golf course and it was my first house and I had never sown seed or done anything or rate you know grown grass didn't know anything about it so I went down to Home Depot and I was going to buy some seed and I was poor and I looked at that seed and I was like $30 a bag my goodness but man I wanted grass I wanted to mow grass I wanted to be I wanted to cut my grass. I wanted the lines in the yard. I wanted it all. I mean, it's going to be cool. And so I bought that little bag of seed. And I mean little bag of seed. And, and so I started out in my yard. I had a yellow house and a little front yard. And I started out, man, I, I was throwing it out real good to start with. And then I got about halfway across the yard and I looked in my bag and I didn't have a whole lot left. And so Brother White, I got stingy with it. I was like, And then it came time for the grass to come up. Well, it wasn't pretty, I'm going to just tell you. I mowed a whole lot right there at the front. There wasn't no mowing to be done there in the back. And I realized, and most of you know this by now, if you're going to grow grass in your front yard, you can't be stingy with the seed. And so, I mean, you got to just, now I take those things and, and I buy the cheap seed, but, which is not a good idea. But I, I, and I buy that thing, and then I just throw it out there, and it just goes everywhere. Because I know that not all of that is going to grow. And so the sower is encouraged in the Bible to sow generously. That don't mean you go out once a month, find somebody and mention that you go to church somewhere. That means every day when you get up, you make up in your mind, I'm going to have a lifestyle of evangelism. It's not something I do, it's somebody that I am. Everybody I encounter, everybody I come in contact with, if there is any opportunity for this conversation to go back to what God has done in my life and what he can do in their life and that he's still a miracle worker, I go to the greatest church in the world, the power of God's word is still available. If any of those things can come up, I'm going to make sure they hear about it. The people you see bringing the, uh, people to church all the time, that win souls, it's not like they're incredibly gifted and 
in uh, illustrating mysteries of God's Word. Some of the greatest soul winners I've ever known sometimes didn't know the Bible that well. But they sowed generously. Everywhere they went, they talked about the goodness of God. I mean, every grocery store, every convenience store, everywhere they went, not obnoxiously, not like a used car salesman, but you know what? Soul winners know how to steer just about every conversation back to the goodness of God. <laughs> they just know how to get it back to God's uh, plan, purpose in their life. And so the Bible says that he sold generously. Someone say generously. We are compelled to sow the seed. And if the commission seemed urgent when Jesus commanded it, and it was, if it was urgent then, how urgent is it now? Come on, somebody. If Jesus talked about how urgent it was then, thousands of years later, how urgent do you think it is that we sow seed right now? Look around you. God's about to wrap this thing up. I'm telling you right now. I'm not going to get off on a tangent about what's going on. You've got internet. You've got phones. You see what's happening. I'm telling you, God's about to wrap this thing up. Now's not the time to get stingy with the seed. Now's not the time to pick and choose and qualify. And you try to decide who's going to make it, who's worthy of your time, who you need to witness to. Everybody needs to hear about it. Everybody needs to know what God can do in their life. Everybody needs to hear the truth. So generously, because if it was urgent then, it's definitely urgent now. It ain't time for you to be bashful. It ain't time for you to be embarrassed. It ain't time for you to be backward. Get over it. God's about to come back. We need to reach this world. We got to reach this world. And so it's time to sow generously. The farmer generously sows seed and then he waits for the harvest. If some of the seeds fall on unprofitable ground, he does not lose heart and give up. Well, I invited them and they didn't show up. I've invited them four times, and they, they just didn't come. I ain't going to tell them no more. That ain't what the Bible says. He just kept sowing seed. When they don't show up, next week you walk out of your house, your neighbor, good to see you. We missed you. Look forward to seeing you next time. That's it. Sowing seed, sowing seed. And then before you know it, out of the blue, someone's going to show up this week. I've been inviting a person to church this week for months, months. This week, I got a text. See you Sunday morning. Looking forward to you being there. Thank God I didn't give up because I didn't see anything spring up out of the ground the first couple of times I threw seed in the ground. You got to sow generously, and you got to sow no matter what results or, or, what, or, or the lack of results, whatever. You got to sow seed because you never know. And so the sower eventually knows that he'll see the harvest. We must be generous, and we must be determined. Even though the word is not always received by hearers, you can't be discouraged. Can't be discouraged. Thank God, whoever helped you get into the kingdom of God didn't give up on you. Because it wasn't likely the first time they invited you, you came running to an altar. You avoided them, you dodged them, you didn't take their phone calls, you might have been ugly with them, but eventually the sower continued sowing the seed and something inside of you began to spring up and you are here. Take that same determination that it took to reach you to reach somebody else. Remember how hard-headed you were. Remember how ornery you were, right? And understand and know that the harvest will eventually come. This same passage encourages us in Galatians 6 and 9 that we will eventually reap if we continue to sow to be patient. It encourages us. Paul said if we remain faithful, we will reap if we don't give up. We can count on a successful harvest of souls if we sow generously and never give up. There's people in your family right now, the only way they're not going to come to God is if you give up on them. Period. That's the only way they're not going to be here is if you give up on them. Sometimes it takes longer than you expect. Sometimes you don't get the results that you want. I've tried a garden a few times, a few times, and I have not ever been that successful, mainly because I'm not that patient. 
I want to put it in the ground. I want to go out there in about a week, and I want to take everything back to the table and eat it. And you know what? Gardens don't work that way. <laughs> they don't work that way. It's the same way in, in winning souls and sowing seed. You've got to be patient and understand that sometimes God's working when you don't see it. Always sow good seed. The farmer begins. He gathers a seed. Sometimes he's, it's seed saved from the prior crop. He makes sure he sows good seed because he knows good seed is what produces a harvest. What's the good seed? Word of God. Someone say Word of God. Not your opinion, not your theories. <laughs> Word of God. It's the most powerful thing that you have. Any doctrine other than the truth of the gospel will be bad seed. 1 Timothy says, if any man teach otherwise and consent not to the wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knows nothing. <laughs> you don't know anything. If you think going out there and sowing seed with anything other than God's word, he said, you don't know nothing. I've seen people in pastoring for 20-odd years now, they were incredible salespeople. I mean, man, if it was Tupperware, if it was Avon, or if it was some pyramid scheme, bro, they would connect with everybody. They were blowing everybody's phone up. They were sending out all of these messages on social media. I mean, they were incredible sowers of seeds if it was riches or if it was prosperity or wealth or something they were trying to build. But when it came to the gospel of Jesus Christ, they were silent. Timothy said, if you're sowing seed, anything other than the Word of God, you don't know nothing. Right? Don't be a hero in the sales world and a zero when you're sowing the seeds of gospel. That is the greatest thing that we have. I want you to be successful. I want you to be prosperous. But don't be a hero in, in proclamating everything else in your life and never tell people about the goodness of God. And so, if we're faithful to preach the truth of God's Word, it is always good seed. If the seed does not flourish, it does not mean it's bad seed. Ain't nothing wrong with God's Word. Right? There ain't nothing wrong with the seed. God's Word will produce. The Bible says it will not come back void. Even when you don't see visible results. Even though you may witness or you may sow seed and you may not see them fall down and wheat and speak in tongues immediately, it doesn't mean that the seed's not at work. How many remember that were away from God? Maybe you were a backslider and there were people that came to witness and prayed for you and you were stone cold. And they probably got in their car thinking, well, that was a waste of time. And just as soon as they got out of the driveway, you're like, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? You lay your head down at night, you stare up at that ceiling and conviction grips your heart like a vice grip. You turn on the radio and immediately it's some Christian song that just grabs you like, ah! Billboards are screaming at you. And like everywhere you look, God's drawing and calling and pulling. What is that? That's a seed that was sown two weeks ago by a faithful saint of God that stopped by and prayed and read a scripture with you and told you that I love you. Can I tell you, you need to sow generously, so determined, know that the seed is the good word of God and it faileth not. It faileth not. There is different soils. We know that. Man, wouldn't it be a whole lot easier right now in my backyard? Brother White, you've seen this. My, my neighbors have seen this. They talk about it all the time. In my backyard right now, I've got soil that, I mean, I literally could put this stuff in bags and sell it. It's just as black as that speaker cover right there. And I mean, no matter what I throw out there, it'll grow. Wouldn't it be wonderful if everybody was like that? I mean, if you could just tell them, you need to repent. You need to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and you need to be baptized in Jesus' name. And man, they just run to the baptistry. That'd be awesome, right? It's not real life. Because there's different soils. And the growth of the seed depends on the type of soil it falls upon. The farmer sows the seed far and wide. He's not stingy with the application in hopes the ground will soak up the seed, nurture its contents, and produce a healthy harvest. I had to learn that early as a young preacher. Man, I thought I had a sermon that was going to turn the world upside down. And I looked out there, and I seen yawns. 
I've seen people checking their watch. I've seen people playing on their phone. And I used to get discouraged. I'm like, what is wrong with me? I mean, I prayed. I fasted. I was in the Word of God. And God's like, well, you ain't the Word of God, number one. Right? You're just a sower. And so you are not the seed. And so no matter what you do, it's not on you anyway. You sow the seed and let the seed do the work. And I was like, whoa, boy, that makes me feel a whole lot better. You mean all I got to do is just say the word? Absolutely. The power's in the word. You can't control necessarily how the soil will receive it. The wayside, the stony, the thorny soil. The seed that failed to grow landed on ground that was not conducive to healthy growth. Some landed on hard-packed ground where people walked and birds came and gobbled it up. Some fell on rocky ground where the soil was shallow. Some fell among the weeds and plants with thorns that choked out the good seed. Now, not in something I was going to mention tonight, but I just think it's important. We as a pastoral team have been encouraging you to begin being here early for prayer, before service. And so my goal is that no matter what I teach, this, I'm going to get it, and this will get in there somewhere. <laughs> for the next four to six weeks, no matter what I'm teaching them, heaven, hell, doctrine, holiness, somehow I'm going to get this in there. You know how to change stony ground to good ground? Thorny ground to good ground? I walk in and I get here early and I start tilling it up. God gets stuff out of my heart that don't belong there. I start throwing rocks out. I start throwing weeds, and I start pulling things out. Because in just a little while, they're going to get up and begin to sing. And then the Word of God is going to be preached. And when the Word of God hits that soil, I want it to take root. I want to hear it, receive it. I want it to change my life. You can change your ground in a service. Because I've walked in many times, and my soil was not ready for the Word of God. But worship and prayer gets me ready so that the word, when it's preached, to all of our worship leaders and music team, thank you. You know what you're doing? You're getting the soil ready. You're tilling it up. And sometimes you look out there and they're like, boy, they ain't paying attention. They ain't worshiping. They ain't doing nothing. That's all right. We're getting soil up. We're turning some ground out here. We're getting the rocks and throwing some weeds out. In just a little while, the word's going to go forth. And somebody that may have been stationary and stagnant is going to run to an altar, get the baptism of the Holy Ghost because we changed the condition of the soil. So it's important we understand that. Understanding that we can't control that not always on us. There's different soils. Some landed on hard-packed ground. Wasn't prepared for it. Then there was the good soil. It's essential for the good earth to have plenty of seeds to bring forth the harvest. That's why the sower is generous, far and wide. We must share God's Word with everyone we can. You can't qualify people. I know in the sales world, they would always say, you, know, you encounter a potential consumer in the first five minutes. You qualify that consumer and find out what they can afford and what they're looking for. You qualify that consumer. Don't sell them something that they're not looking for. You don't do that in the kingdom of God. You don't walk in or go to your job or go somewhere and measure somebody up and down going, oh, they ain't interested. Look at all those tattoos. Look at that hair. I smell pot. Nope. You don't know what God's Word will do. You don't qualify people. You don't measure people up. You're not the one who determines that. You don't try to see what God... Who knows what God would do once you begin sowing seed, once you begin to love on them and talk about God to them and, and give them a, an example of what Christ can do in their life. You don't, do, you don't qualify them the way you would in other areas. So, it's apparent... We should desire our hearts to be conditioned not only to hear the Word of God, but also to soak it up and obey the principles taught from His truth. It's not just good enough that you hear what I'm saying. Right? I want you to hear it, but I want you to hear it. And you know there's a difference in hearing and hearing? Wives know what I'm talking about. Right? They ain't shake their head. What did I just say? Uh-oh. <laughs> Uh-oh. Maybe I should stand out there in the uh, guest reception line and ask a few people that come through, hey, what was my text today? What did I preach on today? And that's right after service. He that hath ears to hear, that's me, let him hear. 
<laughs> right? This ain't my message, but there are people that want to hear the Word of God. You won't leave them alone. They need to hear it. Let them hear. Come on, somebody. It's, it's Wednesday night. It's pastor night. Sometimes I look out there on Sunday, and you're talking so much to your neighbor, they can't hear the Word of God. Let them hear. Let them hear. Talk to them before service or after service or all week long. Here, they need to hear the Word of God. Come on, somebody. Let them hear. There's been times I've wanted to go up. Service announcement, let them hear. Let them hear. And so it's important that we understand that soil sometimes needs to be conditioned, tilled, fertilized, rid of things that hinder growth. Unforgiveness is another stumbling stone that hinders growth in our hearts. Holding on to anything that would cause problems, absorbing the truth of God's Word is not wise. Holding a grudge, being angry, not forgiving somebody, that will cause the Word of God not to take root in your heart. Not to take root. We must have a forgiving heart to understand God's forgiveness for us so that we can receive the seed of truth in our heart. Just as there are different types of soil to receive seed, there are different conditions of the heart to receive the seed of the gospel as well. Unfortunately, the wayside ground, the stony ground, and the thorny ground are not conducive for growth. Each person who has the opportunity to hear the word also has a choice of how to receive it. The response is in direct relation to the condition of the heart. Jesus closed his lesson with a plea to hear what he was saying. It was more than letting the sound waves enter the physical ear. He was perceiving what it, they were perceiving what he said and they applied it to their life. Sometimes it's amazing the enemy the pastor will read his text and he'll begin preaching and subconsciously you're like, "Oh, that's for somebody else." Oh, I know who he's preaching to. This ain't for me. You know what? The person who has fertile ground has never heard a sermon that wasn't for them. Come on, somebody. Oh, I need to do that. You know what? I could be better at that. You know what? That, that's true. That's right. That's on target. That's for me. Sometimes I have people in the guest reception line, every service, they're like, oh, that sermon was for me. And it was because they made up in their mind that I'm going to be fertile ground. It don't matter what seed of truth, what principle of God's word, what the pastor preaches on today. I'm going to apply it to my life. I'm going to make sure that I take it and apply it to my life. That's fertile ground. Hearing the word with a closed mind is like hard soil that is packed down so the seed cannot penetrate the hardened earth. A closed mind is the result of a hardened heart. There are some that have gotten so accustomed to conviction and the moving of God's Spirit, they've come to church so many times that their heart has calcified to the point that it wouldn't matter what I said or what happened in this building, it ain't affecting them. Come on, somebody. I remember one of the houses... Uh, I, I lived in when I was really young. We lived right next to, it. literally you could step off the back door and there was a train track that run right there. And I mean the first night I laid down there and it was about two in the morning. It was, and I'm just like, good Lord, the whole house rattled. It was like, I'm like what a mistake. I'm never going to sleep another night the rest of my life. It's just like, why would they build a house right here on the train track? The next night it was terrible. The next night it was bad. The next night it's like, eh. Two weeks later, I don't know if I could live in a house that didn't have a train running through it. The first time you came to church, the word of God shook you. Like, my God, I gotta get right. Man, I gotta, I gotta make this right. I wish he'd shut up so I'd get to that altar. You're just holding back tears in your white knuckle in the front pew. But then you don't do anything. You go home. The next Sunday, it's, boy, it's conviction. And then the Sunday after that, it's a little less conviction. And before you know it, I don't even know what he said. You have to absolutely understand 
that I've got to receive and apply God's word. I cannot allow my heart to get so calcified and so immune to the moving of God's presence. It's amazing. God can sweep through this building and some can absolutely be consumed by God's presence and others can't stop checking Facebook and they're sitting next to each other. How is that possible? Because a seed fell on concrete. And right next to them was someone who walked in the building saying, i got to get a touch from God today. i got to hear from God today. I need a miracle. I'm going to get strength today. God's going to answer my prayer. One can walk out with a miracle, and the other can walk out barely alive. It's up to you. It ain't the preacher. It ain't the choir. Because there ain't nothing wrong with the seed. The Word of God is powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Right? The Word of God changes lives. The Word of God, it, it, it delivers, it sets free. It, it's the power that we all seek and desire and need in our lives. There's nothing wrong with the Word of God. If we're not receiving and it's not changing our lives, it's not the Word of God's fault. The stony ground received the seed and it quickly sprouted because the earth was shallow. But it only lasted a short time. These people hear the word joyfully, but do not give it time to develop deep roots. They come get the Holy Ghost, and they walk out there, and they think there's going to be a check in the front seat of their car. And they think, man, I just knocked the devil out. I won't hear from him again until maybe never. And then they get in their car, and the first thing the devil tells them, well, that was a big joke. Well, that was all emotion. Well, that was all hype. And they start entertaining that doubt. And throughout the week, rather than getting into the Word of God, rather than going back into the prayer closet and speaking in tongues again, rather than praying through and getting the victory, they allow that seed through that shallow ground to be stolen from them. To be stolen from them. I remember when I was growing up, there was an elder lady who was an altar worker in our church. And she would always tell people, I heard her say it a hundred times, as soon as somebody had received the Holy Ghost, she'd say, Now, honey, I want to tell you something. On your way home, the devil's going to tell you, you didn't get nothing. She said, I want you to pull your car over the side of the road, and I want you to rebuke that devil in Jesus' name, and you sit on the side of the road and speak in tongues all night if you have to, because you got it. It's real. It's real. They knew, that, that precious sister knew, that unless that seed took root, in fertile ground, and it was, if, it, if it was in shallow ground, the devil would steal it. Why some people, we see them one Sunday, we don't ever see them again. Shallow ground. So it's important we allow that to take hold. Allowing the cares of life to choke out the Word. The thorny ground is a heart that allows things in their life to choke out the Word. And this would be those that come to church on a regular basis. It's not gross iniquity. It ain't like you're sitting here on a Wednesday night with a hangover. It's not like you just got here from rehab. But you know what? You can get so caught up in your job. You can get so caught up in your life. You can get so caught up in trying to keep up with the Joneses, uh, buying this, getting that, doing that. It can choke out what's most important in your life. Right? And so ultimately the Word does us no good because we got too many other things in our life. We find ourselves thinking more about acquiring material things that will one day vanish than valuing spiritual things that transcend eternity. What does the Bible say? Lay not up for yourself treasures upon the earth where moth and rust doth corrupt, where thieves break through to steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also i'll hear and faithfully obey the word of god stand with me it was patrick's first time to visit a church his mind was racing at the conclusion of the message patrick looked down at the tattoo on his arm and he thought i i can't give up everything I don't know if I can live this perfect bleached life, this Christian life, this sanitized life, this clean life. I don't know if I can do that. 
He quickly raced out the door. He wasn't ready to strap down his life with all this Bible stuff. Jaden had noticed Patrick on the back row. He was there after weeks of Bible study. And after the sermon that morning, Jaden headed back to Patrick's area to greet him. And yet, when she got there, he was gone. She rushed out to the lobby to see if she could catch him on his way out. She reached the front door just in time to see Patrick zooming away on his motorcycle. Patrick had heard the word on numerous occasions, but had never opened up his heart to the truth. To him, it was an ancient religion. But Patrick hardened his heart, resisting the truth to be planted. He was having the time of his life, party and drinking. Religion was not for him. Of course, Jaden was not so easily discouraged. She purposed in her heart to keep connected and pray for Patrick, believing in time he would open his heart to a better life in Christ. Andrew left the service, same service, same sermon, with so many things on his mind. He could hardly focus. He drove away, drove with his family home, unaware of the rowdy children in the back seat or his wife that was chattering about the service. His thoughts were a million miles away. He had questions and needed to find a place to get alone with God and process the words he had just heard from the pastor. Andrew's wife stopped talking as she looked over at her husband and noticed he had tears running down his cheeks. She asked, what's wrong? He told her, nothing's wrong. Everything is right. He knew God was talking to him, and he wanted to take some time to process the message. Carolyn, same service, was moved by the message that morning. She processed it differently than Andrew, but the impact was as intense as it was for her husband. She was chattering about the details when she looked over and seen Andrew weeping while driving home. She asked if something was wrong. She knew after his answer that he had felt it too, that longing to do more with the beautiful truth that God had revealed to them. Think of these scenarios and how they illustrate the condition of our heart. When we hear the word and it penetrates our heart, we are called to action. So not just be hearers, but doers. Just as Noah rose up and built an ark to save his family from the flood, so should we feel the urgency to respond to God's commands and his word. The greatest compliment I've ever received from any evangelist in all the tenure of our entire church was when Brother Doug Clinton said, well, it's obvious in your church altar call is not optional. I said, you're exactly right. Because it's an insult to God's word for me to sit back there and hear a life-changing, powerful word from God and me to sit there and not move. Altar call is not optional in this church. We love God and we love his word too much. We want to respond. We want to move. We want to, let, we want to show our appreciation. We want to apply the word to our life. We discover the joy of walking in fellowship with the Lord. We find sure footing rooted in His truth. And when we respond, we apply it, we allow it to take root in our life, we then are able to help others. I want God's Word to always make an impact in my life, don't you? Lift your hands if you would and say, God, if you'll help me, I want your Word to take root into my heart, even tonight, God. Even tonight, if there has been a time in my life, God, where I have allowed the cares of this life, I have allowed other things to choke out your word. If I've been caught up in other things, distracted and pulled away, help me, God, to focus on your word, not just hear it, God, but actually hear it, Lord. Actually allow it to penetrate my heart. I pray for every person that is in this room tonight, God. Give them a fresh appreciation for your word, a fresh gratitude for your word, and may every word, God, no matter who's preaching no matter what the word is if the person is preaching the word of God let them apply it to their life in Jesus name we pray I appreciate people that love God's word and it don't matter who's preaching it amen
Everybody's got their favorite preacher. I got mine. But you know what? If I love the Word, it don't matter who's up there. He's preaching the Word, and I love the Word. I love the Word. Amen? God bless you. I love you. Thank you for being here tonight. I look forward to seeing you Sunday morning at 10 o'clock. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.